Welcome to Embrace Church. So glad that you have chosen to join us and worship our God here this morning as part of the Embrace family. It's an exciting day. We've got a baptism coming up later. Lots of wonderful things to celebrate this morning. Um, I just would like to take a moment just to say that if you are new here, we're so glad that you have chosen to spend your Sunday morning here. And if you would like to get connected with us, let us know who you are. We would love that. No pressure. But there is a Connect card in your pew. Should have brought one up here. But it's blue. It's bright blue. It's a Connect. Thank you, Dan, right there, modeling for us. Um, so feel free to fill that out if you would like to get in touch with us this morning. You can also put a prayer request on the back side. And if you want to give us a Connect card or make a gift while you are in the building this morning, some sort of financial contribution, either of those items can be placed in the box at the rear or to the left over here. There's also announcement sheets on the welcome table. So if you want to know what's going on around here, just grab one of those on the way out if you didn't get it before. And we're just so grateful that you are here with us and hope you have a great morning and really sense the presence of the Lord. I invite you to stand, stand together, and let's, uh, let's join into this call, this call to worship. Let's open our hearts to what the Lord has for us this morning. O oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you. As the day rises to meet the sun, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. clean heart.
Let's join in this confession together. We know that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, so good to be together this morning. It's wonderful singing with you all. Wonderful to see you all. We're going to open it up for some gratitude and lament time. So this is just a time to turn to a neighbor, share something about your life. It could be something 
um, positive, hopeful from the week. It could be something um, that you're struggling with or you see that's wrong with the world. Either way, we share our gratitudes and laments together, and it's a great way to meet each other and commune together as the body of Christ. So I invite you to turn to a neighbor, and we'll join back here in a few minutes.
All right, I invite you all to stand, stand with us. Um, let's sing this song. It's a song called Move. Um, it's an invitation for God to come and move among us this morning. Let's welcome, let's welcome the Spirit in. runs for cover when you move no one's turned away cause where you are fear turns into praises and where you are no hearts left unchanged so come move let justice roll like a river let worship turn into revival lord lead us back to you so come move let justice roll on like a river let worship turn into revival lord lead us back to you when you move the outcast finds a family. And when you move, the orphan finds a home. Lord, here we are. Teach us to love mercy. With humble hearts, we bow down at your throne. So come, move, let justice roll on like a river. Let worship turn into revival. Lord, lead us back to you. Back to you and come, move. Let justice roll like a river. Let worship turn into revival. Lord, lead us back to you. The King of all generations, let every tongue and nation surrender all to you alone. To you alone, King of all generations, let every tongue and nation surrender all to you alone. And to you alone, 
so come and move. Let justice roll like a river. Let worship turn into revival. Lord, lead us back to you. Lead us back to you. So come move. Let justice roll on like a river. Let worship turn into revival. Lord, lead us back to you. Lead us back to you. So come move. Let justice roll on like a river. Let worship turn into revival. Lord, lead us back to you. King of all generations. And King of all generations, let every tongue and nation surrender all to you alone, to you alone. King of all generations, let every tongue and nation surrender all to you alone to you alone so come and move let justice roll on like a river let worship turn into revival lord lead us back to you lord lead us back to you Sing this out together, Prince of Peace. And you are holy. You are holy. You are mighty. You are mighty. You are worthy. You are worthy. You're worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. And I will follow. I will follow. And I will listen. I will love you. I will love you all of my days. All, all of my, my days. Sing it out. And I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. And I will love and adore Him. And I will bow down before Him. And I will sing to and worship the king who is worthy and i will love and adore him and i will bow down before him you are my prince of peace and i will live my life for you are holy you are holy you are mighty 
You are worthy. Worthy of praise. And I will follow. And I will listen. And I will love you. All of my days. All of my days. And I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. And I will love and adore Him. And I will bow down before Him. And I will sing to and worship the of peace and I will live my life for you. You are Lord of Lords, you are King of Kings, you are mighty God, Lord of everything, you're Emmanuel, you're the great I am, you're the Prince of Peace, who is a Lamb, you're the living God, you're my saving grace. You will reign forever. You are ancient of days. You are Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. You're my Savior, Messiah, Redeemer and Friend. You're my Prince of Peace, and I will live my life for you. And I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore him, and I will bow down before him, and I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy, and I will love and adore him, and I will bow down before him. You are my Prince of Peace. And I will live my life for you. You are my prince of peace. And I will live my life for you. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Well, good morning. It is really good to be together today. Uh, my name is John, and I'm the lead pastor here at this church, and I just want to say welcome to each and every one of you. Uh, today is a, a very special day um, because we have a baptism. Uh, one of our youngest ones is getting baptized today, and so I'm really excited about this. Um, when we have a baptism, we have a whole little service that we go through um, because it is not just something that this child or their family is doing, but it's something we're all involved in here together. And so there are going to be parts to this service where I'm going to talk to the family, um, and there are also some parts where I'm going to talk to you all and ask you all to participate um, by reading prayers or saying things along with me. And so um, I'm really excited about this. So I'm going to go ahead and invite uh, Logan and Lindsay Trent to come forward, and they're bringing their daughter, uh, Lily. So let's give them a hand as they come to the front.
So like I said, there's going to be some parts that I'm going to ask you all, and uh, we've already talked through it and rehearsed, so we know what's going on. Um, but I will let you all know there will be some parts on the screen that will say all, and that's when you all are supposed to read along with me. And so um, I invite you all just to participate along um, in this process, this wonderful day where we get to affirm uh, God's love and God's special love and care for our youngest ones. And so we, we baptize babies at Embrace because we believe that God's grace is way more important than any personal decisions we make, that God's grace is working in our lives even before we know we even need it. And so God has been working um, in Lily's life from the moment she was born um, and all the way up till today, uh, communicating to her in ways she understands that she is loved and cared for deeply by God. And God's going to continue to work in her life as she grows up and gets to a point where she can make that decision for herself that she wants to follow after Jesus. So brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All, is, all of this is God's gift offered to us without price. And so this morning, I present for baptism, Lily Zora Trent, daughter of Logan and Lindsay Trent. So I have some questions and I ask you all first, and these first uh, three, you'll just say, I do, all right? So on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, um, reject the evil powers in this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. And then this next one you can answer, I will, uh, if you agree. Will you nurture Lily in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, she may be guided to accept God's grace for herself, to profess her faith openly and lead a Christian life? All right, in congregation, I have a couple of questions for you. This first one's very easy. Just say, we do, if you agree, all right? Do you, as Christ's body, embrace church, reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? This next one's a little longer, so y'all can read it along with me. But will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include this child now before you in your care? With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround this child with a community of love and forgiveness that she may grow in her service to others. We will pray for her that she may be a true disciple who walks in the way that leads to life. So we can now join together in professing the Christian faith that is contained in the scripture of the Old and New Testament. And so y'all... Follow along with me and read the Apostles' Creed that will be on the screen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. So I'd like to read a scripture from Psalm 8. Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avengers. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So we're going to participate in a prayer together this morning. So there will be some parts I'll read and you'll read the parts that say all that are in yellow. The Lord be with you. Let us pray, eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through the water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of God's mercy each day. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your Spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Declare his works to the nations, his glory among all the people. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this water and she who receives it, to wash away her sin, clothe her in righteousness through her life, that dying and being raised with Christ, she may share in his final victory. All praise to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. All right, Lily, here we go. All right. So Lily Zora... I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water in the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. So members of the household of faith, I commend to your love and care, Lily Zora Trent, whom we this day recognize as a member of the family of God. Will you endeavor so to live that this child may grow in the knowledge and love of God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you can say this with me. With God's help, we will so order our lives after the example of Christ that this child, surrounded by steadfast love, may be established in the faith and confirmed and strengthened in the way that leads to life eternal. Let's give her a hand and welcome her into our church family. So we have one more thing to do, because Logan and Lindsay have also decided that they would like to become members of our church, and so uh, we're going to do that real quick um, as well this morning. 
So I just have a few more questions to ask you all. Um, So these you will answer, I will. Will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? Will you be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church and do all in your power to strengthen its ministries? And as a member of Embrace Church, will you faithfully participate in our ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? So Embrace Church, I commend uh, these individuals to your love and care. I want you all to do all in your power to help them stay on the right path, following closely after their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love them, encourage them, and challenge them, and push them closer to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So let's now welcome Logan, Lindsay, and Lily into our church family. Y'all can go have a seat. Lily did so well, didn't she? So what we're going to do now is we're going to enter into a brief time of prayer together. Um, I'll remind you, parents, that it is the first Sunday of the month, so all of our kids are going to be in here, and they don't have the Wonder Room on the first uh, Sunday of the month. Um, So we have a chance to have all our kids in here for the service and also to give our volunteers a break. And so um, we're going to have just a time of prayer now. And so every week I've been doing this where I will kneel at the altar. And if anybody would like to come kneel at the altar and pray in that way, then you're welcome to. You're more than welcome to stay in your seats as well. Um, But I'll just give us some space to connect with God, uh, to breathe a little bit, um, to really try to open our minds and hearts and our spirits to receive from God this morning. And then I'll close Uh, by saying a prayer for us, and then we'll also say the Lord's Prayer together, and the words for that will be on the screen when we get to that point. So I'm going to kneel here. If anybody would like to come join me, you're invited to do that now. Lord, we come to you this morning, and we are so grateful to be here. God, I'm grateful for the sound of children praying in our sanctuary. This is a wonderful gift that we have so much life here in our congregation, that we have all these children that are here among us, helping us to to hold on to imagination and to be creative and to help us to to have joy in our lives and point us uh, towards your ultimate love for us as your children. We are so grateful, Lord, for that. God, this morning we are also grateful for just the air that we breathe and the reminder that every breath we take reminds us of your Holy Spirit that lives within us, that is moving all around us, breathing new life into us each and every moment of the day. God, this morning I'm also grateful for this wonderful group of leaders we have on our leadership team at our church and the meeting that we had before church today, and just the important and deep and spiritual conversations that we're having together in these important moments uh, in our world and in life at our congregation. I'm grateful for each and every person who is here this morning, for whatever reason, decided to come and be among us in this space, in this time, right now, today. 
And God, I pray that each and every one of us, no matter what we've brought with us, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would meet us in the, mo- in the places and the spaces where we need you in our lives. If we need to be uh, just encouraged, then I pray that, that those of us who need that would be encouraged. For those of us who need to be challenged and pushed, that we would be challenged and pushed. For those of us who need to be inspired and, and, and have our minds opened a bit more to your word, that that, that would happen as well. For those of us who feel like we can't even, um, we're just not even sure if we can keep going this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would be that source of, of life that, that, that they need today. But God, I just pray that regardless of what we've brought with us into this space or whatever people are dealing with in their homes as they participate online, that God, you would speak to us, that you would move in us, and that God, we would leave here different, that we would leave here changed. Because we've encountered you, the living God, who is actively moving and working in our midst at all times. I pray today that we could become more aware of your Holy Spirit, your presence that is moving around us and in us and through us. And that we could have eyes to see the ways that you're working. Even when it seems, God, that you're absent sometimes. Even when it's hard to believe in you because of all the suffering and pain and violence we see around us. Help us to have eyes to to see you and ears to hear your voice today. God, I just want to pray a special prayer this morning over those who are suffering, over those who are dealing with health issues and sickness, for those of us uh, in our our community that are in the hospital or, or struggling in their homes not able to get out and kind of live the the life that they want to live, Lord. We just pray over them that you would meet them in their moment of need, that you would be their friend if they feel lonely, that you would be their courage as they're facing difficult decisions or uncertainty about their futures. God, I pray over those in our midst who are dealing with loss and grief, that God, you would be extra close to them this morning. And just remind them that you were there in their grief. That you experienced the same loss and grief when loved ones are lost. That you even wept over the loss of your own friend Lazarus. God, I pray over those this morning that are just feeling stressed out and overwhelmed. That are feeling discouraged by the current state of things in our world and in our community. I pray over those that are sick and tired of all the violence and all the suffering. I pray over those that are sick and tired of all the racism and the just bigotry and the hate that we see around us all the time. I pray, Lord, that you would be near to them. That you would remind them, Lord, and speak to them and help them to see, Lord, that you see their pain, that you see their struggle, and that you care. That you are the God who enters into our struggles with us. God, we're dealing with so much right now, and it's so easy to get overwhelmed. And God, I just pray that you would help us to have hope this morning, that you would help us to hope against hope. When it feels like we can't hope, that we would still be able to hold on to hope, that we would be prisoners of hope, as the scriptures say, that we wouldn't give up, that we would be able to keep moving forward, continue, Lord, keeping our eyes fixed on you, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. 
Lord, help us to just receive your grace and forgiveness this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we could experience some restoration and some wholeness today. And now, Lord, we join together and we pray this disciple or this prayer that you taught us, your disciples, to pray. And we join together and say this in unison. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So I'm excited this morning to continue on in this series that we started a couple weeks ago, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And like I said a few weeks ago, the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most important teachings in the whole Bible, that the very first Christians used the Sermon on the Mount really as a way to disciple those early Christians who were trying to discern how to live out God's will for them in this world. And so the Sermon on the Mount is a block of teaching in the book of Matthew, beginning in Matthew chapter 5. And moving all the way through Matthew chapter 7. And it's been fairly neglected um, over the years, uh, for, for many years. And, and we really want to recover these teachings. And we want to really allow Jesus' teachings on how we ought to live to inform kind of how we live and work in this world that we are living in. And so I'm excited to continue on um, in that this morning. And so, uh, yeah. I invite you to go on the, on the journey with me of discerning kind of what Jesus might have us do in our day and age right here and now. So a few years ago, um, I started, uh, I've been involved in our ministry, Common Good, um, from the beginning. And, and when I became the pastor, I wasn't able to be there every single day in the week. And so what I did is I decided I'm going to mentor one day a week in our after school program. And so for many years, I mentored in the fourth and fifth grade classroom. And I know we uh, have some elementary school teachers here. Um, some of y'all got elementary age kids. Fourth and fifth graders are kind of wild. Uh, they're kind of crazy, but they were a lot of fun. And so every Thursday afternoon, I had the, the privilege and the honor of being able to mentor in this classroom with 13 fourth and fifth grade kids from our community. And one thing I remember, this was a few years ago, this particular boy named Tayshawn was in our program. And... And I always would look forward uh, to talking with Tayshawn every uh, Thursday when I was there because Tayshawn had this incredible imagination. I mean, Tayshawn would talk about some of the wildest things, and I'm like, where did you come up with this, right? And, and he would tell, like, the craziest stories. We would always take prayer requests every day, and he would come up with just the wildest prayer requests you could ever imagine. Um, and then we would always have a question of the day. And so all the kids would go around and answer uh, the question of the day. And one week, uh, the question was this. It was, if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? Pretty basic question, right? A lot of kids were picking, uh, you know, like I think a kid said, I'd go to Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, that's it, right? You know, it's like, I'll go to, I want to go to China. I want to go to this and that. And they would share all these places. Now, Tayshawn, when it got to him and, and his answer, he said, I don't want to just give one, but I got three places I'd like to go. 
He said, I would travel to an alien spaceship, to Area 51, and also to Mr. John's attic. Not quite sure why he wanted to travel to my attic, but that was his answer. Not too long after that, I was down there in the classroom with him talking, and he leans over to me, and he had this really serious look in his eyes. He was very concerned, and he said, John, when are we going to free the zombies in the zombie room upstairs in the church? And I was like, what? Like the zombie room? What are you talking about, Tayshawn? I didn't know we were keeping zombies in our church. And he said, Laura, which is my wife, if you don't know my wife, uh, Laura's the executive director at Common Good. He said, Laura is keeping zombies locked up in her office, and we need to set them free. And then I realized that when Laura got that office upstairs, the key, ring, key that we gave Laura for some reason said zombies on the key. And so Tayshawn had seen this zombie on the key, assumed Laura had locked zombies up in her, her office, and, and we needed to set them free. I think they might still be locked up in there. I'm not sure. You know, as I, as I think about that, I, I just, I think most of us adults, we've kind of lost that imagination, right? Children have this incredible ability just to imagine the wildest things, and they can come up with the funniest and craziest stuff. And, and you know, us adults, like as we get older and older, we often kind of lose that, right? We lose that sense of imagination. We often view the world as kind of set in stone, right? We take everything for granted. We have a hard time imagining new possibilities. As I think about the Bible, um, one group of people in the Bible that I've really just loved over the last few years are the prophets. And reading through the prophets, uh, paying attention to what they talked about. During Advent, we spent time looking at prophecies from the book of Isaiah and, and these images that we have back here were, were inspired by prophetic visions. And as I think about the prophets, one thing that I see about the prophets is that they had incredible imaginations. Prophets in Scripture were basically creatives. They were artists. They were activists who had these incredible imaginations. And often what prophets would do is they would provoke. They would startle people. They would unsettle people and disorient people as a way to help people to think outside the box, to consider an alternative, kind of the dominant way we see things in our world. Prophets were often not liked very much because of that kind of provoking way that they lived in the world, but they did that for a reason, to try to help startle people out of our slumber, basically. You know, one thing I like to do, Laura and I like to travel, and every time we travel to a city, we always try to go and visit like the art museum that they have in the city because it's just a great way to learn more about the city and see some beautiful stuff. And, and some of the art that I like the most is kind of the art that makes you a little uncomfortable. I've been to some art museums and it makes me a little too uncomfortable, some of the art I've seen and experienced, but I always love the stuff that kind of rattles me a bit and makes me think, and I'm like, what is this? What is the, the, the artist really trying to do with this piece of art? It helps spark my imagination. Jesus, um, who we read about in the New Testament, who we worship, who we follow, Jesus was deep in the prophetic tradition. 
And so in order to understand Jesus and what he taught and what he represented, you have to understand that Jesus comes from the prophetic tradition in the Old Testament, from from the prophets that we read about, really going all the way back to Moses. Moses was a prophet. You've got Isaiah, Ezekiel, you've got Jeremiah, you've got Elijah, all these prophets in the Old Testament. And Jesus comes from the prophetic tradition. He was Um, We could argue the greatest prophet, right, ever to live. But Jesus had imagination. He inspired people to consider new possibilities, to imagine another way. You know, I've seen uh, this scene sometimes in movies, and and it's always kind of a, a different way it plays out, but you've probably seen this happen in a movie before. But imagine, this is the scene I've seen before in a movie where you have a group of people who are all, in this room, and maybe they're around a boardroom table or in the situation room or something like that, and they're arguing about some big problem that they're facing. They're like, the world's coming to an end, and we don't know what to do about it. And they're all freaking out, right? And they're like, we're hopeless. Nothing's going right. We don't know what to do. And then maybe there's some old guy in the corner, and he's just sitting there watching it all take place. And then he starts to speak very quietly but deliberately and confidently, and he's like, but have you considered this option? You know, and then everybody's like, whoa. You know, they're like, we never thought about that. This is the path that we got to take, right? They were able to see possibilities that others weren't. And I think Jesus in many ways was that kind of person. When everybody's debating the current issue of the day or whatever's going on, Jesus had a, a way for coming in and offering up something that no one had considered and offering up a path to transformation that people who were kind of stuck in the old ways of doing things could not see and could not imagine. The Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus' kind of creative work here. He's, he's doing creative theology. He's looking back at kind of the old way that they were taught to do things in the Mosaic Law and in the prophetic tradition. And he's saying, but, but here's kind of the problems that have developed, and so I'm going to offer some things that you can do to try to see some transformation and get out of the ruts that we find ourselves in. And Charles Campbell, uh, the scholar, writes this. He says that at the deepest level, the Sermon on the Mount is not primarily a set of rules or directives. At the deepest level, the Sermon on the Mount is an act of imagination, and a rather wild and crazy act of imagination at that. In the sermon, Jesus reimagines the world and invites the church to live into this new alternative reality. Jesus challenges kind of traditional religion in many ways by showing that just following kind of these outward rules and laws isn't enough. What can happen is vicious and harmful cycles of dysfunction and harm and separation and even violence can develop. And these cycles are evident, really, and, and, and Jesus is teaching up to our text today. I'll just give a summary of some of the teachings he gives before our text for today. For instance, Jesus pointed out that the law forbade murder. It didn't allow you to murder someone, yet people were still harboring anger in their hearts and mistreating and demonizing and dehumanizing each other with their speech and their thoughts. The law forbid adultery. Yet men still allow lustful desire to consume their minds and hearts. The law required men to give a certificate of divorce to their wives, yet men were divorcing their wives for all sorts of reasons, showing them disrespect and honor, 
and marriage had become an unequal partnership that gave men all the power. The law forbade lying under oath, but, Jesus, but people had been lying without being under oath, right? Living dishonestly with each other, creating unhealthy communities that lacked trust. And so in all these situations, Jesus offers transforming initiatives for his followers to take to try to break those harmful cycles. The world needed prophetic imagination. The world needed Jesus and his message. And I think today we need some prophetic imagination, right? Part of the problem we're so stuck in our nation is because we don't have leaders that have imagination and can think out of outside the box, right, and imagine that maybe there's different ways we could do things. Maybe there's different ways we can structure society so that everybody actually is taken care of, so that everybody has enough, right? Jesus took his people that he was teaching to the heart of the matter with this radical message in the Sermon on the Mount. So this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. And I want you all to keep in mind the threefold way that Jesus taught that I told you last week. First, he would affirm the Mosaic law. He would say, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder, right? That's an example we looked at last week. But then he would radicalize the law. And when we say radicalize, we mean to the root. He would take us to the root, to the essence, to the values that were underneath that law. And then he would offer some transforming initiatives that his followers could take. And these transforming initiatives are the way to kind of break the cycles, those vicious cycles that so often happen when we're focused on the letter of the law, but not really the essence and the root of what these laws were about. And so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, and I'll just read off the screen here. Jesus says, you, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You see, he affirmed the Mosaic law. But I tell you. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've probably heard this text before, and I'm just going to go ahead and say off the top, I, I think that it's been misinterpreted many, many times. And so my hope is this morning to give you all maybe a fresh way of thinking about these verses. So first, like I said, he affirmed the Mosaic law. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Here Jesus summarizes what could be called the lex talionis, which is the law of equal retribution. This law is found in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. This was kind of just common sense law. It was built into the fabric of their lives. The purpose of this law was not to encourage revenge or retribution. All right? So it wasn't encouraging you to go get an eye for an eye. If someone takes your eye to take their eye, it's not encouraging that. But it was really meant to limit in proportion, limit your retribution in proportion to the offense, right? So, for instance, Laban's got this nice new guitar up here. If I stole Laban's guitar, he wouldn't be happy about it, right? So maybe Laban takes me to court, right? He says, John stole my guitar. We've got to have some retribution. There got to be consequences. Now, the law of equal retribution would say that the judge could not say, John, you're going to be put to death because you stole Laban's guitar. 
because that's not in proportion to the offense, right? But what they may say is, I've got to buy Laban a new guitar and maybe buy him an even nicer guitar uh, because of the emotional harm I caused him by stealing his guitar, right? And so it was meant to limit kind of the retribution in proportion to the offense. And so you couldn't just be paying someone back for something they did to you with something that's way overboard, right? So as you can imagine, though, many people use this law as a legal way to seek retribution and revenge for a harm that was done to them. The law basically allowed revenge within reason. I was talking with a guy a while back, um, and he told me a story about someone who had lied on his brother, which got his brother arrested and put in jail. Now, he was very angry about that, and he was basically telling me, this person did this to my brother, and so he's, I've got to pay him back. There's got to be revenge. There's got to be something done to this guy to hold him accountable. And so his plan was he was going to hurt this guy because of the harm that he had done to his brother. And he wanted to go out and kind of inflict some violent retribution on him. This happens all the time, right? Someone does something to you, you want to do something in response to them. And so we spent some time talking about it, and eventually he, he kind of accepted the idea that maybe violent retribution was not going to solve the issue but could potentially create more problems, right, for him and for his brother. Because what can often happen is we can get into these vicious cycles of violent revenge and retribution. If he goes and does harm to that guy, then maybe that guy comes back and does even more harm to him. And then we know that that can get taken to very extreme and awful places. We can even look at this on a bigger scale. Um, Y'all know 9-11 that happened many years ago in our nation with the World Trade Center and all that. I remember I was in college when this happened. And, and after 9-11, our nation responded with this shock and awe campaign in Iraq where we went and dropped lots and lots of bombs on that nation. And I remember watching it on TV, feeling deeply disturbed by all the images and the sounds of explosions. A violent act of terror was done to our nation, and so we responded with what? A violent act of terror. And has the terror stopped? No, it hasn't. It's a never-ending cycle. And I think we need prophetic imagination. Instead of perpetuating the vicious cycles of violent revenge and retribution, we would do ourselves a favor to pay attention to Jesus' transforming initiatives that he offers in these verses. And there are four of them, and so we're going to break those down. Let me read it one more time. But I, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. So he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles and give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow for you. So let's talk about verse 39 for a moment. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, I believe this passage has been kind of misunderstood. And let me break it down. Often there are misinterpretations, I believe. As you start to look at it, you start to see that people have interpreted this in a variety of different ways. And so let's look at this. There are two important words in this verse that I believe might be mistranslated. The first is the word resist, 
And the first and the second word is evil person, all right? It's two words, but it's really one word they've translated that way. Now, many scholars have pointed out that the word for evil person could be interpreted just as evil, so it would be do not resist evil, or it could be interpreted by evil means. And so let's look at this. Let's see how this would change the meaning of the verse. So option one, say we, we agree, it's maybe not just saying an evil person, just do not resist evil, which a lot of translations interpret it as. But the option two, do not resist by evil means, really changes what this verse means, doesn't it? The Greek actually allows for both. And so how do we choose which one is correct? Well, I've taught you all before, the way to do that, the first step is to look at the context, right? Look at the biblical context. Well, for me, I look at it, and I'm like, Jesus is teaching this, but Jesus himself actually resisted evil. I mean, that was like kind of his whole point of coming in many ways was to resist evil and to find a path towards healing and transformation and wholeness. Jesus consistently resisted evil, and he resisted evil people. He resisted the temple authorities when they were oppressing people. The scribes and the Pharisees, those who were greedy, he resisted Satan. And so I see Jesus resisting over and over and over again. So I'm prone to favor, do not resist by evil means. Now the other word I want to look at is to resist. Scholar Walter Wink argues that this word, resist, when you look at it used in other situations, this Greek word, it's almost always talking about violent resistance. It's talking about armed resistance and military struggles. Violent struggle is what is being referred to here. And so we have a couple of options how to translate the word resist. Option one is do not resist by evil means. The second one could be do not violently resist by evil means. You see those are very different, right? Do not resist evil, if that's how we translate this verse, has made people think that Jesus is advocating for passive non-resistance. That you just let all the evil and injustice and all the terrible things happen and you don't do anything about it because Jesus said, do not resist evil. Benjamin's shaking his head no. This is basically allowing the oppressor to get their way. But if we translate it, do not violently resist by evil means, then that allows for resistance to evil. Instead of passive non-resistance, we're talking about active, non-violent resistance to evil. So it's not a question of whether we resist evil, but the question is how do we resist evil? And when we understand this, I think we can better understand the rest of this passage. Because Jesus offers four transforming initiatives that can break the cycle of violent revenge and retribution. These are the means for resisting evil that Jesus gives us. So let's look at the first one. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. Now what Jesus is describing here, a slap on the right cheek, he's talking about an act of dishonor and humiliation. Now imagine someone punches you. Most people are right-handed, so imagine someone comes at you with a right hand and punches you. They're going to hit you on your left cheek, right? And that's a punch. That's a deliberate act of violence to hurt somebody. Now, what Jesus is referring to here is a backhanded slap across the right cheek. Have you ever been slapped that way? That, that doesn't feel good, right? You, it's like, it's not always as much about inflicting physical harm. It's more of a kind of trying to dishonor someone. 
When you deliberately hit someone like that across their cheek with the back of your hand, it's not necessarily about physical pain, but it's trying to communicate that that person is inferior to you. A master might strike a slave like this. A violent father might strike a son like this. An abusive husband might strike a wife like this. The pain was felt more on the inside than on the outside. And so Jesus shows some imagination. He's saying that if someone who is more powerful than you comes and does that to humiliate you, he says instead of hitting back, responding violently, or even backing down and taking it, he offers another way. He says, turn to them your left cheek also. In many ways saying, if you're going to do that, then just hit me. It is a chosen, active, nonviolent response to a system designed to humiliate. The chosen action refuses submission. It asserts dignity and humanness and challenges what it's supposed to demean. It refuses the power to humiliate. I had the opportunity to go uh, to Selma a few years back and walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And, and this reminds me of all the black and white women and men who walked across that bridge with their held, heads held high, refusing to back down, but refusing also to fight back with violence, even as they were spit on, hit, blasted with hoses, and met with violent words. It was a way to reassert your dignity, but in a nonviolent way, and really expose kind of the degradation of what this act is being done to you. So that's the first offer that Jesus says, this is a way you can respond. Another one, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now imagine you are so poor that you are being sued for your shirt because you can't repay your debt. Like you owe somebody something and they're like, I'm going to take the shirt off your back because you ain't got nothing else to give me, right? This is a person who doesn't have money. It's a person who doesn't have property. So they're being literally sued for their clothing that they're wearing. All that you have left is your shirt and your coat. That's it. Now, the Jewish law actually forbid someone from suing someone for their coat. So they did have some rule. You can't literally take everything. You cannot take their coat because the coat was often the bedding for a poor person as well. And so they're like, the law did not allow you to sue for a coat. And so imagine, though. How greedy a person must be that is suing you for your shirt, the last thing that they can get from you. So Jesus imagines a creative way to resist this injustice. He says, just go ahead and offer your coat as well. Now think about it. They take your undergarment, and you give them your outer garment. What do you have left? You got nothing, right? You got nothing left. And so the image here is of a poor person standing naked in the court, before the greedy man who took everything from them. Glenn Stassen writes, in Jesus' culture, that would be enormously embarrassing. It would reveal the plaintiff's greed in all its nakedness. This is an active, nonviolent way to resist the evil greed that leads people with nothing. It's exposing the nature of what's happening here. Matthew 5, 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go two miles with them. Now, in Jesus' day, a Roman soldier, they were living in an occupied land. Jewish people were occupied by the Roman Empire, and so they had soldiers everywhere, you know, keeping tabs on things. And so the soldiers obviously had a lot of power. And so the soldiers were allowed to force a Jewish person to carry their bags for them for one mile, which was a common practice. 
We read about Simon of Cyrene. Do y'all know this story? Jesus' crucifixion, when he's on his way there, they pulled someone out, Simon, and said, hey, you carry the cross. They had the ability, the soldiers, to force someone to help them carry something for a certain amount of distance. The Jews grew tired of carrying Roman bags. And some groups, notably the Sicarii and the Zealots, they advocated for violently fighting back when they were forced to do things they didn't want to do by the Roman guards. The Sicarii were known for killing a lot of people. And they would violently fight back when this kind of thing happened to try to instill fear in the Romans. But Jesus imagines another possibility. It's not just just doing it all the time and feeling terrible about yourself and being beat down. He says, what I want you to do, instead of just going one mile, go an extra mile for him. Some scholars have pointed out that Roman guards weren't allowed to force Jews to go over one mile. And so going two miles would make the Roman guard perhaps start to feel nervous because they're violating the protocol. And so instead of the Roman guard feeling powerful and superior, this act would take them off guard. Warren Carter writes, the subservient has seized the initiative, chosen the action, and made the oppressor worry, possibly opened the way to a different relationship and manifested God's empire. It was active, nonviolent, very creative way to resist when you had no power in this situation. Then the last initiative, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, this is just the reality of human nature, that often when we're struggling, sometimes we can take that out on other people. Often struggling people can turn on one another and start taking advantage of the weaker people, right, and potentially causing pain to each other. And so Jesus here is essentially challenging his followers to take care of one another, to help each other out, to, to create communities of justice and equality. Jesus doesn't advocate for passive non-resistance to evil, injustice, or oppression. He uses his imagination and offers alternatives. These new alternatives that had the potential to shake things up and lead to transformation. And I love, we've just begun Black History Month in, in America. And I think really the black freedom movement embodies these teachings more, perhaps more than anyone throughout history. And, and we have a lot that we can learn from, from that legacy, right? But what they did is they creatively, people like Martin Luther King and others, the black church was guiding a lot of this movement. They were creatively imagining. Often people say that Martin Luther King was a pacifist. That's not a very good description because he wasn't passive at all. And his movement was not passive. It was very active. But it was more what we call strategic non-cooperation because they were creatively imagining another way to resist evil that didn't involve violence, right? And so it was very active, and it actually in many ways was very effective, right? We still have a lot of work to do, but it was very effective in that moment to impact some change, and we've seen a lot of backlash and a lot of regression, but at that point, it pushed forward, and we need people today, and many are already are, creatively imagining ways to nonviolently resist a lot of the evil that we see in our world, and Jesus, it all, it starts way back, way back with these prophets, and Jesus embodies it more fully than, than anyone, I believe. But this teaching was geared towards Jews in first century Palestine, and so what we have to do now is cultivate our imaginations to imagine what active nonviolent resistance, resistance to evil can look like today. I'm going to close with these words from Charles Campbell. 
He says what the church really needs is imagination and foolishness shaped by the way of Jesus Christ. What the church really needs are some holy fools who will help nurture a church that is crazy enough and odd enough to offer a genuine alternative to the violence and domination of the world. Paul in Romans 12 writes these words. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to share communion this morning. And I encourage you just to spend some time connecting with Jesus as we share communion. I'll go ahead and invite um, our worship team to come on up. If you don't have a communion cup, then uh, we have some at the door back there. Uh, Rick will go grab the basket and he can bring you one. Just raise your hand if you need it. I encourage you all to bow your heads with me, and I'm just going to pray a prayer over our time of communion. God, we come to you this morning, and we are just grateful. We're grateful for the way that you showed us. We're grateful that you offered an alternative to the the ways of domination and violence that we see in our world. And God, we repent of any time and all the times that we have chosen the path of violence and domination and revenge. We repent of the ways that we have tried to to use these kinds of things to achieve what we want in this world. God, we also want to thank you, Lord, for the imaginations, for the creativity that you give us, and I pray we could recover some of that today. And God, that we would be able to imagine uh, new possibilities, new possibilities for our own lives, new possibilities for our families that might be stuck in ruts, harmful cycles, new possibilities for our marriages and our relationships, new possibilities for the ways that we parent, new possibilities for the ways we engage as citizens here in our, in our city, in our state, and in our nation, and, and as members of this, uh, this world uh, family that we are a part of, that we can imagine new possibilities for the ways that we lead and the ways we engage politically, the ways we advocate for others, Lord, the ways we resist just the harmful things that are happening all around us. Help us to have courage, to courage and creativity to look for another way and to see where your spirit might be leading us. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have in Christ. And we pray that we could walk in that freedom. 
And we pray, Lord, that we would rest on that foundation of love that you have laid out for us, that love that you have communicated to us over and over and over again. That we could sit and rest firmly on that foundation, knowing that regardless of what happens, regardless of what anyone would do to us or to anyone, like we are loved by God. And, and I pray that we could rest in that truth that we are your children and that you love us. And help us, Lord, to trust in your plan for the redemption of the world. And help us to have courage, Lord, to love fearlessly, to be those holy fools that we talked about. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you have showed your love to us throughout your whole life when you walked here on earth, throughout all the ways that you spoke to us through your scriptures and through the prophets, and all the ways you communicate, Lord, your love for us, and, and the way that you died on the cross, the ways that your spirit is telling us over and over and over again that we are your children, that we are loved. And we pray, Lord, that we could receive that message today as we share communion. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon this bread and juice, that it would be for us the body and blood of Christ. Fill us up today in a fresh way. We pray we would leave here changed because we've encountered you, the living God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to take and eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and drink. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. We're going to close by singing a song together. And feel free just to remain seated. If you'd like to kneel at the altar, you can do that. If you'd like prayer with someone from our prayer team, we'll have someone in the back who will be happy to lift you up in prayer um, as well. But let's just spend a little bit of time reflecting on what God may be speaking to you this morning. And then uh, after that, we'll, we'll close with the benediction. Blessed are the ones who do not bury and all the broken pieces of their hearts. And blessed are the tears of all the weary, pouring like a sky of falling stars. Blessed are the wounded ones.
all stand together for the benediction. Benediction is basically just the sending out. It's sending you all out to live out the things that God's doing in our hearts uh, this morning. And so may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.